of Philippians chapter number two. We've been studying on Wednesday nights spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle that we in. In order to uh, in order to engage in, in warfare of any kind, especially spiritual warfare, you, you have to know who you are, your capabilities, and we studied that. You have to you have to know who the enemy is. And in the last couple of Wednesday nights, we've studied the enemy. Tonight, and maybe for the next couple of Wednesday nights, we, we want to study on the allies. Very few wars have ever been won without an ally. Uh, even those within the country, uh, you end up, in, especially in the major wars, you, you have citizens who are allies or citizens who are enemies. You have neighboring countries who are allies and there are neighboring countries who are enemies. And a lot of times these can have a major impact on the outcome of the war. But uh, none as much as our ally has on the outcome of our spiritual warfare. And that is Jesus Christ. And I've asked, I've asked several people in the last couple of weeks in preparing for this lesson, who is Jesus? And uh, and there's always a Sunday school answer, Son of God. Okay, but who is he? If I asked you today, who is Randy Thomas? And I asked everybody in this church who Randy Thomas is. You know, I'm gonna get every everybody's gonna have a different answer. Every one of them. Some people's going to describe Brother Randy as husband to Sister Marietta. Others are going to describe him as the son of, or others the, the daddy of, the uncle of. Others are going to describe him as his role in this church. And there's going to be many different descriptions, all of which apply to him. So whenever we talk about who is Jesus, we have to look at, at Christ in his entirety. We have to look at, at where he came from why he came, his purpose in coming, and the, the impact that he can have on our spiritual warfare and, and on our life as a whole. In Philippians chapter number 2, we're going to look at verse number 9. Philippians chapter number 2, verse 9. Wherefore God hath, uh, excuse me, wherefore God also hath exalted, highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. And there is a, a colon immediately following that. And the colon always means there's an explanation coming. Keep reading. So we're going to keep reading in verse number 10. It said that the, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. He said this name is above every name. This name is highly exhausted because at this name, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whenever we begin to explore who Jesus is, we have to begin with the most important thing about Jesus, and that is he is part of the Godhead. Jesus is, is that God the Son. Well, we always mention we, we have those three. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is the Word made flesh. John 1 said that the Word came and dwelt among us. And that is the God-man. The, the, the Jesus that we're going to celebrate Easter here in just a little while. He was so much man that they crucified him and that he died. But he was so much God that he rose up again. And Miss Elfie was here. She'd tell me exactly who sang that song. If you don't know, it's a beautiful song. There's so much man, so much God. And that's who Jesus was. He was so much man. But, but if you ask the people who walked among him and, and his disciples, read the four Gospels. They all call Jesus something different. They all look at him in a different light. One is, one is a king. 
One is a savior. One is a deity. The other the son of God. All the gospels look at Jesus a little bit different. If you ask people who Jesus is, you're going to get a different answer every time. Tonight, with the help of God's word, we want to go through a lot of the scripture references for who Jesus is. And the first place that we want to go to is, is understanding that Jesus is the name that God has exalted. Jesus is the name above all others. Jesus is the name at which demons and devils recognize. You remember when Jesus was walking up and the, the, the devils that possessed the man called him by name? They knew who Jesus was. Jesus didn't introduce himself. They knew who Christ was. This world knows who Jesus is. the most recognized name on the planet in every language. Jesus is the most highly exalted. Jesus is the Son of God. So where did Jesus come from? It's like asking the question, where did God come from? He's always been, he always will be. John said in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God and the Word was with God. That is Jesus Christ. Was for, we're not going to flip over and read it, but 1 Peter says, Before the foundations of the world was formed, Jesus was set to come and die. Foreordained. Before the foundations of the earth, Christ knew that he was going to have to show up before any of it ever happened. He knew what God's plan was, and he was a part of it before anything was here, before creation. That's who Jesus is. That's part of his character. That, that, that's, part of, that's part of how we describe him. Everything else that we have to say about Jesus revolves around two things. One of which is why he came. The second is the result that it has on our life. Tonight we're going to try to look at both of those. The why Jesus came and the result it has on our life. Stay right there in Philippians chapter 2. Back up into verse number 5. Jesus left his place in heaven to be down here with us. He said, let this vine be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And we see a colon means there's an explanation coming. He said he made himself to be of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Right off the bat, we see Jesus... We see Jesus coming to this earth and being made smaller. Being made into the likeness of men. The the sinful, fragile creatures that he watched in creation. That he watched down through the ages of time. Thousands of years, Jesus saw it. And he came anyway. He knew what we were and he came anyway. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we're not going to flip all over the Bible. Tonight, there's a there's ten reasons I have written down. Uh, if you want the, the outline with the Scripture reference, they're in the back. But the first, and, and no doubt the most important, the reason Jesus came to shed His blood on Calvary's cross, He said Himself, He said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the reason He came. So whenever you begin to describe Jesus, not only can you describe him as that, the, the God-man, not only can you describe him as a deity, but he's the one who came when he didn't have to. 
He's the one who came when no one else could. He's the one who stood in that gap. He's the one who filled that spot for us, for me, and for you. Number one, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And in Luke 19, it says he came to bring everlasting life. And through that, only on those who believe in him. There's a lot of teaching and preaching and it comes a lot from the book of 2 Corinthians about predestination. That God has foreordained. Jesus came for everybody. He, he, he didn't pick. He, he didn't play favorites. He didn't come for a select group. Jesus came for everybody. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Who was lost? The whole world. Every man being born into sin. John 3, 16 and 17. Whosoever will. That is part of Jesus. That is part of his character. He came and humbled himself into the form of a servant. He came and submitted himself to the will of the Father. So that everyone who believed on him could have eternal life. The third reason is he came to show the world who God was. Down through the Old Testament, you see time and time again, God performs miracles on this earth. But every time God performs a miracle and children of Israel see it, how long before they go back to worshiping idols? How long does it take? On average. In your Bible, it takes less than a page. I don't know how much time span that is most of the time, but you start reading your Bible. And when the children of Israel come back to God and they repent and they say, Oh God, we, read, we studied about Manasseh Sunday night. He worshipped idols of wood and stone. And it wasn't until he got himself in trouble that he repented. But then how many pages do you have to turn before you find Israel falling right back down that slippery slope? Down through the Bible, God showed Israel who he was. But to them, that was not enough. Jesus came to this world so that they could see who God was. John chapter 10, John chapter 14, he came to this world to do miracles. He came to this world to heal. He came to this world to teach. He came to this world to preach. He came to this world to show the character of God. He came to this world to be merciful. He came to this world to destroy the works of the devil. You cannot have evil unless you have good. You cannot have good unless you have evil. And from the, the first moment that he, from the moment he was conceived, Satan fought Christ. But at no point in his lifetime, no point in history, no point in the future, will Satan ever defeat Jesus. Jesus came to this world to destroy the works of the devil. Not destroy the devil himself. That's coming. He came to this world to destroy the works of the devil. He came to do good, to bring mercy to those who are oppressed. In my Bible class right now, the kids are supposed to be doing their homework. They're probably not. Their homework tonight was, was to come up with a skit. I split them into two groups, about a half a dozen kids apiece. They were to come up with a skit about the Good Samaritan. A class of 20, maybe 18. None of them knew what the Good Samaritan was. They couldn't tell me how many people passed by. They didn't know who the Samaritan was. They thought that was the guy who got jumped on by the thieves. 
So they're preparing a skid on the Good Samaritan. and They asked Jesus. They said, who are we to love? Who are we to show love to? And Jesus told them this story. The man fell among thieves. And the religious elect, the religious superior, those who thought a lot of themselves. Brother Randy was talking before service. There's a movie in it's really funny what he says in the movie. This guy, he's, he's all high and mighty, big dude. He says, I too am extraordinarily humble. And I just think it's hilarious because he's not being humble. But Jesus came to this, uh, he was telling the story, and he says, the man's laying here and no doubt beaten bloody, and, and those who are, are religious elite walk by, the priest and the Levite, and they look at him. Told the kids, I said, you got to act it out. If you were to see somebody like this and, and you didn't want to touch him, you may have some kind of disease or something. You're going to jump back. You're going to walk all the way around. That's what they did. And then the Samaritan, the Samaritan who were, were, were deemed unclean by the Jews, those that were deemed the, the lower class, the outcast, came to this man and saw his condition, picked him up and set him on his own beast and took him to an inn. And paid for his stay there and said, if he needs anything else, you take care of him. I'll pay for it when I get back. Jesus asked these people, they said, which was his neighbor? Those that showed mercy on him. At no point in Jesus' life on this earth did he not show mercy on someone. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 is a really... Really, really big verse. A week ago, that was our verse of the week at school. And the kids love it whenever we, we do these short verses of the week. They only have to write it a couple of times and they get through quick. And that, that verse don't have a lot of words in it. But it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And his mind he's talking about is, is that of mercy. That of humbleness. That of love. That of kindness. That which... We all need to work on, myself included, being a little bit more like Jesus. We can wear the bracelets. We can have the, the bumper sticker. Jesus came to this world, and not only did he live that Christian life, he proved it in every aspect. He showed mercy on those who, who couldn't help themselves. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He healed the sick. Those who were faithful came unto him. He told them in multiple times. He said, I faith." has made thee whole. Thy faith has saved thee. The man who was, was lame, his friend's faith got him to Jesus. Jesus was merciful to those who came faithfully seeking him. Jesus was merciful to those who could not help themselves. The demoniac of Gadara, he couldn't do nothing of himself. He couldn't cast them out. People had chained him up and he just, he just busted, he shattered it. Jesus came and had mercy on him. Jesus came to help those who could not help themselves. He came to show the world what that was about. And he did from start to finish. He came into the temple and was teaching as a young kid. I have to believe that it was a, a, a teenager, a young teenager. He was teaching in the temple and his parents jumped all over him. He said, I must be about my father's work. He started young and he never ceased. On the cross, some of the last words that Jesus said... Before he gave up the ghost, he said, Father, forgive them. From start to finish, Jesus showed and proved what it was to be 
God. He showed and he proved the character of God. I know Brother Doug wouldn't mind me mentioning it. Brother Doug always prays. And through Jesus Christ, we have life. And John 10.10 says exactly what he says. And we have it more abundantly. Another reason Jesus came to this world was to give people that life more abundantly. Where would you be today without Christ? Better question is, where could we be today without Christ? A lot of times we think back in our life to a single decision that changed it. A single opportunity, a singular moment. Uh, I know me and Brother Destin was talking during the baseball game the other night. There, there, there's always one play that changes things. There, there's always one instance that shifts things. Basketball, football, baseball, darts, whatever you want it to be. There, there's an instance that shifts momentum. And in a Christian's life, that instance is Jesus Christ. There's a transformation there. There's a change. And Jesus came to be an example, to, to be a living proof of that. Flip over to Galatians chapter number 3, if you would. I think that's before Philippians. Yeah, before Philippians. Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter number 3. Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of of the law. Galatians 3:13 verse 13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Be made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The last and final reason we're going to talk about tonight that Jesus came was, was to get rid of that curse. Verse 25 says we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Verse 28 says there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. That is all comprehensive. Jesus came for everybody. Jesus came for every person. Jesus came for every creed, for every race, for every... For every everything. For all of all. It encompasses every everything, every every person. Jesus came for us all. And after that, Jesus begins a work in us. Flip over to first John. I know I say it a lot and I don't mean to sound repetitious, but Whenever we get saved, and, and I was I was that way as a Christian. I'm saved, now what? Jesus came to this world to show us what's supposed to happen after salvation. He lived it. Not only that, He continues to teach us and to guide us through His Word, through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew not him. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. And we know that he shall appear, and we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. Every man that putteth that excuse me, every man 
that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. This hope that we have is that faith in Jesus Christ. And whenever we're saved, we are then changed. Our soul is sealed until the day of redemption. We are called sons of God. Romans chapter 12 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. What does it mean to transform? All my life I thought that meant to change the outward appearance of. But I looked it up. It's been a while back. I look it up and the word transform means to change the structure of the outward appearance, the inner appearance, and the makeup of. To transform something is to, to change it completely. Whenever you change the outside of something, it is very, very difficult not to somehow have an effect on the inside of something. Whenever Jesus changes us, he works from the inside out. He changes us instantly on the inside. And then those changes become evident on the outside. Jesus came to this world and walked among men to show us what that change is supposed to look like. To show us what that final result is supposed to look like. To show us where we're headed. To show us a goal. To show us what we should try to be. There's a man, and I don't remember his name. I remember letting the kids at school watch his speech. It was a really good speech. He accepted an award for something or other. He said, my hero, what I aspire to be is myself in 10 years. I have goals and dreams for myself, and that's who I want to be. And that is how I stay motivated. I don't want to be myself in 10 years. I don't want to, to think about where I want to be. I don't want to think about what I want to have achieved. I want to be wherever God wants me to be. I want to achieve whatever God wants me to achieve. As Christians, our goal in life, our, our hero, our, our person we look up to, the person that we aspire to be, shouldn't be someone in this world, shouldn't be someone famous. It should be Jesus Christ. He came to this world as an example for us to follow. And I heard a man say one time, well, we, we can't heal like Jesus. Why not? Why can we not heal people? You know, a smile is one of them. And have an impact on people more than anything else. A kind word. I'm not a hugging type of person at all. I don't, I'm just not that type of person. A hug can mean a lot to people. A prayer can mean a lot to people. Jesus Christ came to this world, and the Bible don't say that he was a hugging person either. Guess what? He was still kind to people. The Bible don't say that. The Bible don't say that Jesus went out of his way in, this, in just so many words. But whatever Jesus was passing toward Jerusalem for the first time. He had to go through Samaria. And remember what he said? He said, I must needs go through Samaria. A lot of times we'll start reading about Jesus' life and we'll pass over that. Jesus went out of his way for the woman at the well who didn't even want nothing to do with him. 
who was content in living her life. But Jesus showed compassion on her. Jesus was kind to her. And as a Christian, that is what we should aspire for. I don't want to be the biggest and the best that I can be. I want to be what God would have me to be. Whenever we begin to know Jesus, we begin to know that example, that bar. Paul said that we are to be perfect. In order to be perfect, we have to be exactly like Jesus. We may not get there, but the goal is set, the bar is set, we have something to shoot for. May we never stop trying. Well, we have a verse of a song. I ask for a verse of invitation if someone has something on.